This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. I thought everyone was smarter than me my first year of graduate school. I mean, in your case, Josh, <laughs> most of them were. Call Hello PhD. Operators are standing by. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we open the mailbag to talk about how to avoid comparing yourself to your lab mates, how to find clinical research opportunities, and more. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 143. I'm Joshua Hall. I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Good evening, Dan. It is late in the evening right now. It is late. Uh, this is this is fall, as we will hear shortly. I took my family and uh, traveled to the Outer Banks, North Carolina. I saw in your Twitter feed, Josh, you tweeted somebody who said that people from North Carolina take mini vacations to other places in North Carolina, and that is precisely the case. So we drove about three hours and went to the beach and had a wonderful time being not at our house. So uh, sorry, I'm getting back late. We're trying to record this thing and, and get it done, but uh, it was much needed and very appreciated. That's fantastic. And and you're absolutely right, Dan. I, as you know, also went to the Outer Banks of North Carolina a few weeks before you. And hilariously, I am going out to the mountains of North Carolina this weekend. So <laughs> North Carolina folks taking many vacations in North Carolina. It's a beautiful state. It is a beautiful state. So the weather has been, you know, gorgeous. Fall is a premium time here in North Carolina. And so with all these Zoom meetings and working from home, I've started working a bit out on my back deck and doing Zoom meetings out on my back deck. And I have lots of nice trees out there in the back. And more than once I've had people ask me like, oh, is that a Zoom background? I'm like, no, that, those are actually the trees in my backyard. But twice this week, I did meetings with uh, some students and folks from the West, uh, Western United States, like New Mexico and California. And I decided that is my new recruiting strategy for students out West because they were remarking how green uh, everything was in my backyard. So there you go. Also could be achieved with a Zoom background, but I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that you've got the real deal. I got the real deal. You know, my computer is so old, it won't let me do Zoom backgrounds without a green screen. And I don't have a green screen. I don't have time for that. You just got done saying how green it is behind you. <laughs> That's true. I haven't tried it with the trees. Maybe, maybe I'll try that. Josh, you and I were able to get together recently and open a beer from a safe distance and share it. So should we go ahead and play our recorded in nature beer segment? Yep. This was uh, on the scene, you and I together in person, uh, sitting in your backyard around a crackling fire. So I haven't listened to this recording yet. I hope the crackling fire audio came through loud and clear. Let's take a listen. All right, Dan, we are on location tonight at your house. Yeah, should we should we give a minute to pick up the ambiance? There's a crackling fire, there are crickets. It is chilly out. You're wearing shorts for some reason. <laughs> it's cold. I've got it's my legs. I've got my legs pointed towards this uh, roaring fire you've got going. Thanks for getting the fire going. Yeah, started that one early because I figured you'd be wearing shorts like me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is uh, it is campfire weather, and in my defense, I just got back from the beach today, so I still have on the shorts. Okay, well, at least you brought beer, so I will let you stay. 
I did, Dan, and I've been waiting. This one's been in my fridge for a few weeks, waiting for a moment like tonight where we have a nice, crisp, cool evening around a fire, and we are going to sample the S'mores Yeti. This is from uh, Great Divide Brewing in Denver, Colorado. So the S'mores Yeti Imperial Stout. And get this, Dan, this is a stout brewed with chocolate, marshmallow, and spices. I had no idea. It was so on theme. Right on theme. Listen to this. I actually did not know this ahead of time. I actually have to get the, have to get the flashlight on my phone out so I can read this because it's, it's dark right now. Here's the marking speak. Reach for S'mores Yeti and find yourself transported to a cozy campfire setting without ever leaving the comfort of your home. Although I did leave the comfort of my home. But I didn't, so technically we're half correct. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Though enjoying this decadent treat fireside is definitely encouraged. There you go. There we go. Enjoy all the tastes of the classic campsite dessert blended with the rich roasty malt flavor of Yeti Imperial Stout, a beer for telling, telling tales and creating new ones. All right, Dan, I don't think I've had a beer brewed with marshmallows before. Yeah, normally this time of year we get one brewed with pumpkin pies in it. All right, let's uh, try this. You brought a couple glasses out. Thank you, Dan. Oh, wow. This is like... It looks like motor oil as you pour it. <laughs> you better uh, save some for wow. the glass. For... It is black. Wow, look at that. You know, I love this about a chocolate stout, that frothy foamy head on it uh, just looks like chocolate milk. I love it. Alright. Here we go. Cheers. Cheers. We're not clinking them. That's not safe. That it's is a, thick. It's a little bit sweet. Definitely it, sweet. It tastes a little burnt. Like you've got the, the char flavor. And definitely the chocolate. For sure. Absolutely. I'm not sure I get not that, I mean with the chocolate. It's like a dark chocolate s'more. This is not your Hershey's milk chocolate s'more. You know, Fun fact Dan. When I go camping and make s'mores I always get the dark chocolate instead of the Hershey's milk chocolate. You feed it to the kids too, or just and you? Like it. It. Yeah, that, I think that's all they think is is. I think that's the way they think you're supposed to do it. Well, I'm amazed that I didn't have to make s'mores tonight because anytime there's a campfire, my kids instantaneously expect s'mores. Well, now you don't have to. You can just get them I'll the just s'mores. Get, I'll, give them of, stout. I'll give them a couple. I'll give them imperial stout. <laughs> what do you think of this, Dan? You like this? I think I'm going to sip it slowly, and it's going to stay cold because the air is cold. And uh, I think it's a it is an event beer. I think it's the kind of one that I will remember, and I will I will not go fast with this one because I think there's a lot going on. Great, great for a cool evening around the fire. I agree, and I'm glad we're sharing this because this is a large can. Uh, I mean, we yeah, that would be that would be a lot of this beer to drink an entire one. <laughs> I know we have two pint glasses almost full. Uh, all right, Dan, this is the S'mores Yeti, and we will enjoy sipping on this and. We will join you all back in the studio momentarily. Happy fall, everybody. All right, Dan. Well, I hope before this beautiful fall weather leaves us that we get a chance to do that again sometime soon. I will look forward to it. For now, I will sip on my carbonated water, (laughs) as I am known to do. Josh, today we are going to dip back into our mailbag and answer some listener letters. Before we do that, I want to remind everybody about Promega's Student Resource Center and This week, I wanted to just talk about the professional and skills development section on that page. If you go to promega.com slash hellophd and click around, you will be able to find the professional skills and development section uh, that has things for your job search. So if you are graduating soon or hoping to graduate soon, 
You can learn about things like compensation, what it's like to work in a company culture, uh, things about how to interview and how to tell your scientific story in a way that other people can understand. It's all there on the student resources section. So check it out. And those are things you don't always learn in grad school. In fact, they are trying to hide those things from you in grad school, <laughs> typically. Uh, Dan, I also wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon patrons. We appreciate all the support. And if you'd like to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash hellophd or go to our website, hellophd.com and click the become a patron button. All right, Josh. Well, before this mailbag explodes, let's dig into it. Dan, I love all these emails and tweets that have been coming in with listener questions. You know I love answering listener questions. It is your favorite thing to do, Josh. And we're going to start out with an interesting one that I didn't experience, but I think happened after I left. So the question goes something like this. I have recently been admitted and accepted admission to a PhD program in immunology and infectious disease. The only issue is that upon talking with the department about classes for my first semester, it seems that they have just recently merged my program with the microbiology PhD program, and it doesn't really exist anymore. This was news to me, and I'm not sure what to do moving forward. I have reached out to faculty about this, and I'm awaiting a response. I was wondering, is this common? Have other people been admitted to programs that don't exist anymore? Anyway, I thought you both would have some sort of insight into my predicament, and that was from Tegner. Um, Josh, it occurs to me the department I graduated from, Cell and Molecular Physiology, I don't think exists any longer in that form. Didn't it merge at UNC with another department? Um, yeah, it sure did, Dan. I believe that department is now uh, merged, and it's called the Cell Biology and Physiology. This Similar a, words. I mean, play, the se- <laughs> play the sound of me ripping my PhD off the wall, <laughs> smashing it, because it, it is probably no longer useful, right? I don't know, Dan. Have you had that experience? It was never useful because I'm not using it. But aside from that. What's in a name? I got a little chuckle out of this because uh, my PhD was from the Department of Microbiology and Immunology. So probably very similar to the blended departmental name that uh, Tegner is now experiencing. This is a question that I get from time to time from graduate students. Um, And and let me tell you the context that, that I typically get it because I think it's relevant here. So I know at our university, graduate students are unaffiliated during their their first year because we have a large umbrella admissions program and students rotate through different, really with any faculty they want, who are affiliated with 14 different PhD programs. So it's not until after they join the lab, they, they pick a lab to join, that they become affiliated with a department or a PhD program. However, the majority of faculty actually have affiliations with multiple PhD programs. So as a grad student, once you select your lab, you might have a choice of two or three different options for the actual PhD program you join, even though the lab you're going to be in and the science you're going to do is exactly the same, right? So what I have experienced before is sometimes students who maybe they're thinking, well, you know, I always, and this is, this is a real example, you know, I always thought of myself as a microbiology person. I'm interested in microbiology, but my PI is affiliated with this genetics and molecular biology PhD program also. And, and you know, a number of reasons. Maybe I heard the uh, prelim is better in the genetics department, or I'm really going to be doing a lot more genetics. So I think that might make sense for my science, but, but there's a lot of trepidation around this specific decision of 
what is my diploma actually going to say someday? Um, am I going to be a PhD in microbiology and immunology or a PhD in genetics and molecular biology? And the good news is I don't think it really matters all that much. I don't think it is as consequential of a decision as it may seem to a student in the moment. Um, and, you know, Dan, you made a jest of it earlier, but once you're ready to take that next step after graduate school, um, let's say, for example, you want to go on to a postdoctoral position, which we know a lot of people do, that's still in academia. So if it was going to matter, that would probably be an area where it was going to matter the most. Um, but when you're looking for labs to join for a postdoc, I have never encountered uh, myself or others I know where the specific name of the department or PhD program or degree mattered all that much. What really mattered was, well, what lab did you come from? What papers did you publish? You know, what kind of references do you have? What What's your research ability, right? And that's really what's going to matter independent of what the PhD program is called. And, and you know, in this case for, for Tegner, it sounds like this was just sort of a restructuring of some similar types of labs and similar types of faculty. You've got an immunology type program that's merged with a microbiology type program. You know, that's not so far out in left field um, that it, I don't think it's going to really change your experience in any consequential way, but I feel 100% confident it's not going to have any meaningful uh, impact on your future. So arose by any other name. But, you know, I will say, again, referencing those 14 PhD programs that are under our biomedical umbrella, I can think off the top of my head within the last five or six years, at least three different programs that have changed their names to more accurately represent the type of research and the breadth of research that their faculty um, does these days. Um, and, you know, there are sort of trends and there are changes in even some of the wording of how um, research is framed and some of the words used to describe certain types of research that didn't exist five or 10 years ago. So that, that could be going on um, there too. But, but what I'm pretty certain of, I think as an incoming graduate student, I don't know that this is going to impact you all that much. And in some cases with the merging of a department, this could mean there are additional faculty that might be available to you to potentially work with as a research advisor. And that could be a benefit. So I think really like any first year graduate student, the most important piece is finding the best lab environment and the the best advisor for you that suits your interests and your desired mentorship style. So Tegner, I think, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be okay. Yeah, and we hope you follow up and and tell us a little bit about how it went. Was it uh, worse than you thought, better than you thought? Uh, Just share that information with us and we can get it out to our audience. You know, these immunologists, once they let these microbiologists in, they're a rowdy, ruckus bunch. All downhill from there. All right, Dan, it looks like we have another email that came in from Jessica, and and this one said, Hi, Josh and Dan. Thank you for providing such an amazing resource. I've told so many people about the incredible resource you guys provide, from imposter syndrome to graduate school taxes to productivity in the lab. The podcast is amazing. Uh, First of all, thank you, Jessica, and and that's something we love. We don't really do a lot of advertising. (laughs) Uh, That's not something that we're is it fair to say we're not, not our, good at that? not our gift. <laughs> uh, so we really do re- rely, uh, and throughout the entirety of doing this podcast, I don't think we've ever done advertising. So we have relied on word of mouth. And if you like the show, um, you know, tell your friend or tell your enemy or, or whoever, but we, we really do appreciate you spreading the word within your own program and department. Um, anyway, I will go on. So Jessica says, I have a question for the listener mailbag. 
I joined a lab at the same time as another first-year student in my program. I would really appreciate advice on how to not let your thoughts run rampant with comparison in your lab. I feel like he has more experience than me in a lot of research areas related to the lab. I know no one wins in the comparison game, so any insight you have about how to avoid it would be great. Thanks again, Jessica. This is a great question. It is, and I I have to believe that a lot of uh, first-year students experience it. I know I did. Uh, Walking in, and and people come from such a diverse background in terms of how much research experience they have. It's almost a guarantee somebody is going to seem smarter than you and seem make you feel as if you're not ready to be there. I thought everyone was smarter than me uh, my first year of graduate school. I mean, in your case, Josh. (laughs) Most of them were. (laughs) <laughs> most of them were but but you know i think we all find our ways to uh put ourselves down um, and assume uh we assume the best of others and the worst of ourselves at times and and that can be really really detrimental to our progress especially starting a new program yeah jessica Manson mentions that she has heard the some of the imposter syndrome episodes and my first thought on this was oh this is classic imposter syndrome but I wanted to include this question today because I felt like it had a it had another element to it. It's not just she doesn't feel like she belongs there, which is would be a classic imposter syndrome. But I think she's asking about some practical things she can do to not fall into the trap of comparing herself. I think she's recognizing is not making her feel better. And you know, if you've listened to some of those imposter syndrome episodes, you know that this person is not does not make you unworthy of being there, and that those feelings are very common, but not very helpful. And so I think she's asking for some strategies to kind of break that habit of, of making that comparison. Yeah. And I think in, in Jessica's situation, in her specific situation, this situation has a lot of potential pitfalls uh, built into it. And I have actually seen similar situations to this um, go bad for students. And in particular, where two graduate students starting the lab at the exact same time it's almost human nature to then be comparing yourself to them. The The challenge with that, I mean, there, there are plenty of challenges to that. Even if they were doing exactly the same job, that would not be the best thing to do. But especially with something like a PhD program, chances are, even though they're in the same lab, you know, Jessica and this other student are going to be on completely different projects, doing different research, um, doing very different things. And there's going to be so many variables that could lead to progress happening at different speeds and and not even necessarily looking the same. So I think in the general advice is especially true here, which is um, especially in a graduate program, really focusing on your own growth. An example that I always think of, a personal example, was um, there was a short, a very short window of time, Dan, where I did CrossFit. How many bones did you break? <laughs> well, that's why I stopped. <laughs> I didn't break a bone, but something started hurting. Uh, so, But anyway, I was extremely out of shape when I started, which is not surprising. But you know, the first day I did it, I thought I was going to die. Second day, you wanted to die. <laughs> Third day, I did die. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but what was really hard, uh, one part that was hard about that was seeing how much better a lot of the other people were at you know, doing the workout than I was. They were faster, they were doing more weight and all this stuff. And so I was feeling really, uh, really kind of down on myself. And so every day I would go, I would always feel like I was the worst one in the class. And after about a month, we circled back around and we actually did the exact same workout that I had done on my first day. 
And so in this CrossFit workout, we had to do this certain thing in, in a certain period of time. And so I did it and I felt like I was going to die and I felt like I was doing terrible. But what was eye-opening was that I actually went through this workout like five minutes faster than I did 30 days prior. And I was like, oh. Which is a lot. It was a lot. It was it was a whole lot. But if I didn't have that comparison point, I would have still thought like every other day, well, I suck again. <laughs> I'm the worst. You know, why am I even doing this? But having that comparison, like, oh, I'm growing, like I'm getting better. And what I took from that, I've tried to take with me in other avenues of life where really we're just competing with ourselves and not even competing. What we can refocus on is, am I learning? Am I growing myself? And so what I always encourage students to do is when you feel like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Everybody else knows more than me. You know, Jessica, think back on you're new in this lab. Uh, really try to remember your first day or your first week in the lab and how much you know. And chances are it was probably not a lot, and that's fine. But I bet you um, a month in, you know, really pause and reflect on, okay, do I know more than I did a month ago? And I bet you're going to say, wow, yeah, I actually have learned and grown a whole lot since then. And then do that six months later and then a year later. And I think that will center you and give you some perspective on uh, the progress that you really are making, um, independent of what anyone around you is doing. So uh, that, w- that would be a piece of advice that I would give, you know, Jessica, not just to you, but to any of us who are in this situation where we um, have the tendency to compare ourselves to others. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And I wanted to follow up on the, the sort of mental hygiene angle. How do, you, how do you take those thoughts that you're noticing and deal with them? Um, and, and what you're saying, Josh, is to take those thoughts and to reflect back on your own path and how you got here and how you've made progress. I found an article in Psychology Today, and it was really focused on not making comparisons with other people in social media. I know that there is a kind of a glut of Mm. um, mental health effects because people go on social media and everybody else is on vacation and wearing a bikini and whatever. I sure was. I look great in my bikini. Yeah, I sure was. (laughs) So it's not a big deal. But I think it's a real thing. The more time you spend on social media, there's been research that says the the more depression and anxiety you feel. And it's because we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. And so uh, the author of this article, Susan Haas, uh, is a, a medical doctor, but she says that some of the things you need to do is just to become aware of your triggers. And so for Jessica, it sounds like it's interacting with this particular person. Um, we don't know anything about this other person, but if there are way, you know, if you notice that every time you interact with this person or you, you, um, sit next to them at the bench or whatever it is, you start feeling yourself, you notice yourself looking over and comparing about, um, their results, or maybe they talk really loud in the lab. Maybe this person brags all the time. I have no idea what type of person it is, but if there are ways that you can notice those moments and reduce the number of them in your life that's going to help you in the same way she talks about if you're on social media that makes you feel anxious cut down on your social media usage and you'll feel better you're absolutely right dan uh yeah that social media game where uh we're comparing our worst selves against everyone else's best selves and there's no winning you know jessica didn't mention that uh this other grad student is a complete jerk face so um, i'm gonna i'm gonna just assume for a moment that that he's a nice uh, a nice fella and a you know, a decent human being. I'm going to assume that. And I want to say my experience when I joined my PhD lab, very similar to you, Jessica, there was another graduate student who joined at exactly the same time. So we were going through hitting the same benchmarks, same milestones at the same time. 
And it ended up being a really great experience and we became really good friends. And beyond that, um, it was a very use, it was very useful to me um, and hopefully to her too, going through this really difficult process of graduate school together. And I can't imagine, I think it would have been much harder for me going through the process if I didn't have that other person in my lab that was going through it um, together. And, you know, we ended up working very closely together on similar projects, helping each other out a lot. It turned out we had some complementing skills. And so uh, we really leveraged that to our advantage. And I think both of us ended up being a lot more productive uh, than we would have been if we would have each been on our own. So this could be an opportunity to have uh, a support system of someone that can help you um, and you can help them through this process. And it sounds like you didn't feel competitive or inferior to this other student, though. You didn't come in with that experience. I think I was unsure at the beginning, but, you know, I decided to make an effort like, I'm going to try to be your friend. <laughs> We're going to be spending a lot of time together. So, uh, and luckily she was down for that. So it worked out. Yep. A couple of the other suggestions that are in this article, and we'll link to it in the show notes. One is to remind yourself that other people's outsides can't be compared to your insides. We all have a public persona and often those are curated or cultivated. And so you don't know, you know, because this person's experiments appear to be working, you don't know how many times that has happened or how practiced and polished they are to deliver their lab meeting results and how much work went into that. There's so much that goes on that that appears to us on the outside to be as if this person just has it together. But we see our own insides and we know how messed up things can be inside and and you can't compare the two. And I think that's something to, to remember. I do want to say objectively, uh, my friend who went through grad school with me um, is much more successful than me now, though. So, I mean, she runs a large clinical lab at a big university hospital and I have a podcast. So, you know, there you go. So you got that going for you. <laughs> there you go. All right, Dan, it looks like we have one more email. One last one. Here it is. I'm a third-year PhD student working in a project about cancer, but I feel that research is not my vocation. Instead, I think that my real passion would be to work directly with patients. What options do I have? I've done quite a lot of research, and I find it really difficult to come across anything directly related with patients having a PhD. Best wishes, Francesc. You know, this is a great question, especially for, I think, a lot of folks who are out there doing PhDs and graduate programs in biomedical science, where uh, maybe you're doing you're doing laboratory research, but in a setting or on a topic that really edges up against human health type questions. And I encounter a lot of students who, even when they were deciding to come into graduate school, not everybody who's finishing undergrad and thinking about their next steps for graduate school just has this clear, defined decision point where they're like, well, I know 100%, I want to go to a PhD program. Especially in biomedical science, Dan, we have known people um, who really were trying to decide, like weighing the pros and cons of, do I want a medical degree or some other clinical degree or public health degree or this PhD doing research? Uh, because there's so many common interests. There's so many similarities in the types of things you might be interested in that might lead you to pursue one versus another program like that. Human health, for instance, changing lives, making the world better through science, all of those things. Yeah. And so it sounds like um, Francesc is three years into the, the PhD game and so well underway but sort of reached this point where they're not sure research is their vocation. Um, by the way, 
that is not an uncommon place to find yourself as a grad student. I don't know anybody who's <laughs> gone through that that's sitting in the seat that I'm in right now. Uh, are there any listeners out there who are halfway through their PhD and maybe have decided research is not their vocation? I bet there are a few. I think third year was the year I tried to quit and didn't <laughs> succeed at that. And your PI didn't let you. Yeah, it was third or fourth year. I don't remember. Uh, but one thing that I love about uh, what what Francis said is obviously they are thinking about, well, okay, this is something I don't think I want to do for long term, but what do I want to do? And through some self-reflection that there's this possibility for passion working directly with patients and, and wanting to know what options um, that, that might exist. Yeah. So how do you get there from here is the question. I mean, I, I agree. Let's, let's applaud the fact of doing that work, of, of thinking through that process of knowing yourself and what it is you want to do. That is all awesome. And now how do we chart the path from A to B? Yeah. And, and it's never too late. You know, that was a path that I fell into was thinking, oh, well, I mean, and this was totally dumb. I was totally dumb. I was like, well, I'm 23. I guess I've made my bed. I got to lay in it now, <laughs> you know, which in retrospect was uh, so misguided. But there are a few specific things to answer your question, Frances, that you might think about. So I think it depends specifically what interests you about human health and what type of work you think you could be passionate about. So, for example, some students who have these real interests in the human health part um, of biomedical science more so than just the science research. You know, some people just like scientific inquiry and the fact it's applied to human health, like, okay, well, that's fine. Take it or leave it. Um, but if you're really interested in the the human health vocational part, uh, there's translational science, translational medicine sometimes it's called, which is really where the science happening in the lab directly overlaps with what's going on in the clinic. Sometimes you hear this called from bench to bedside. So one thing you could look for is research opportunities where the research you're doing is directly applied to something that's happening in a clinical setting. So maybe you're working with samples directly from patients who are afflicted with certain diseases or conditions. And for some students, that scratches that itch. Uh, but you, you, know, you do say that working directly with patients could be important to you. So I think really this is where you think about, all right, when I say working directly with patients is my passion, is meeting some patients who are maybe dealing with certain health issues and collecting some samples from them that you take back and analyze knowing that, okay, these are really attached to a real person who's dealing with a real disease. And this research I'm doing, I think might have a meaningful impact on their lives and people like them. If that sounds amazing, then, you know, you may be able to continue with the PhD. You might just want to rethink the type of lab you might want to um, go into as your next step as a postdoc, or maybe there are ways you can move towards that in your current situation. However, if that doesn't sound exactly like what you want to do, if you really feel like, you know what, I want to directly treat people who are sick. Not just meet the patients for whom my research is helping. This is like, if you want to go beyond that and put on some latex gloves and help them out. Yeah. In, in, a real way, meaning, do you want to touch patients? You know, do you want to, yeah. like you said, Dan, I want to be the one who is directly meeting with these patients, developing a plan in the present to help them move towards health. Treating patients rather than just analyzing samples from patients. That's right. 
That's right. And if that's what you want to do, then you really do need a different degree <laughs> to do that. That's sort of where the line of uh, biomedical PhD stops. You know, you can be very involved with their samples, uh, but not treating patients. And and that's where you may think about wanting to decide, do I want a medical degree? Do I want an MD? Or do I want a nursing degree? Or do I want some other type of clinical degree that will help me work directly with patients, treating them, helping them develop a plan um, for health? And, you know, people do that. I like to call that um, getting an MD-PhD the old-fashioned way. <laughs> <laughs> which is do the do one degree then do the other degree is is there a time at which you can you can no longer sign up for the md under the phd framework i know the draw of an md phd dual program is that you don't pay for medical school or there's some discount yeah and you know, that's a good point that is something you could inquire about depending on the type of institution where you are now if you are part of an institution that's that's uh, related to a, a large medical center that has an MD-PhD training program, you might reach out to the leaders of that program. And in some cases, there could be an option to uh, transition into an MD-PhD type program. That may not be possible. I know sometimes these programs are very competitive and they have certain ways in and it can be hard to do a lateral entry into those programs. I, th I think if you decide, let's say a medical degree is the direction you want to go. We talked about the Maybe you want to do translational research, but let's say a medical degree is what you want to do. Then I think the decision you have to make is, do you want the PhD? Do you want and need the PhD for ultimately what you want to do? Um, if the answer is yes, or if you just feel committed, like, you know, I'm three years in, I want to see this through, that's fine. Uh, then you might want to really be upfront with, you know, your, your PI and your lab and think about ways you can expedite that process, your committee, uh, expedite that process as much as you can while... Also, uh, spending some time talking to folks in admissions for MD programs to think about, all right, well, what do I need to do to pivot to make myself competitive for those programs? Maybe um, in your spare time, you're going to need to do some shadowing or study for the MCAT or do some things that are going to help you be a competitive MD candidate. And actually, by the way, as I'm saying that, um, I think as part of your exploration process, sounds like the work you're doing in your PhD is maybe working on cancer, but you're kind of in the lab doing the lab thing. Before you take such a big leap of, you know, potentially moving towards a completely different degree, uh, doing something like some shadowing or some opportunities where you can be in a clinical setting, working around patients in a way you haven't been able to as much lately, might be very insightful for you to really make sure that that is something you want to do. But, you know, if you go do those shadowing opportunities or you hang out in a clinical setting and you just walk away completely excited and enamored and the time just melts away while you're doing that thing, that is very instructive for what might be the right decision for you. Or you might do it and you might think, oh, you know, this wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. Maybe I was romanticizing the working with patients. Oh, these patients are jerks. Maybe I don't want to do that. The, the cells are nicer to me. I don't know. Um, but I think either way, getting some experience doing those things and, and see how it feels could be a good thing, a good next step. Yeah, and I want to throw out a, a couple of maybe other options. I haven't explored this deeply, but I have some family members who have done things like this. The fields of public health, and even getting into social work, there are ways to be in contact with patients that um, are science-based and they are health-based, but it doesn't require you to be an MD. I know that there are a lot of positions now for people doing contact tracing and things like that, 
where maybe months and months ago you had to be an RN to do it, and now they are opening up opportunities for people that have scientific background and can be trained but aren't necessarily medical people. So anyways, I just think it'd be worth exploring things like public health, public medicine, things like that, where there may be a more human component and there may be chances to interact with populations, but it may not be in the clinic specifically. Yeah. And I would love to know if we have any listeners of the show who maybe have had this experience and maybe they were uh, in a graduate program or doing research and decided to switch gears and get a clinical degree of some sort, whether that's a, an MD or a nursing degree or something else, let us know how that goes. I don't know. Maybe they don't listen to our show <laughs> at that point. Um, or, or if you went the other direction. Somebody will know somebody. Somebody though. will know somebody. Yeah, it, Certainly put them in touch with us. I think it'd be interesting to, to talk to them about their experience. Um, or if you went the other direction, maybe you were in a medical program or had a medical degree and decided that wasn't what you wanted to do. And so you pursued a graduate degree where you wanted to do research. Let us know that too. I think these, I think it's really important sometimes for people going through the process to hear from others about their experiences that you really can shift gears and you really can go in a different direction if you realize that uh, the, the path you're on is not the right one for you. All right, Josh. Well, lots of questions tonight, and I appreciate you taking the time to open the mailbag again. We'll have to close this up. Uh, if you have a question or a topic idea, we would love to hear it. You can email us, podcast at hellophd.com. You can send us a tweet at hellophd. Uh, if you do like the show, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We like the feedback, and it helps other listeners find the show. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron. Just go to our website, hellophd.com, and click the Become a Patron button, or visit patreon.com slash hellophd. And we will appreciate the beer money uh, and enjoy that outside. So thanks to the ongoing support from our patrons. All right, Dan, you know what gives me energy? It's opening up the mailbag and answering some listener questions. So You do love it. I do you love do love it. it. I, I was so tired, Dan. It's about 11 o'clock. It's nearing 11 o'clock now, and I was tired. I was thinking, I don't know if I want to record tonight, but I'm feeling energized right now. It's just the the conundrums. You like untying the knots in people's lives. I do, and, and absolutely, we appreciate the the people who did write in with their questions. And it gives you energy to give bad advice <laughs> late at night. Something to get you a call in radio show. <laughs> You're on Hello PhD. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should definitely call her. No, it's a great idea. I don't care that you broke up seven years ago. Call Hello PhD. Operators are standing by. We'll just dispense medical advice. We'll have a call-in show where we dispense medical advice with absolutely no background. Take two of these and call me in the morning. All right, Dan, we are getting a little uh, loopy, so why don't we just uh, end this show? All right, John, we'll see you next time. See you next time.